welcome to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Devotions designed to inspire you on your daily walk with God. Here's your host, Ken Gurley. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Morning Devotion. Thank you for being a part of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. We are believing God for an awakening. That is our that is our blessed hope. I wrote about awakenings in this book on prayer. If you'd like to get that, thebookonprayer.com. I believe we're running a discount for those that would like to participate in the 21 days of prayer, or you can just dive onto Amazon and find it there as well. We are in day five, not too late to jump in and be a part of it. You say, well, I've backslid two out of the five days. That's okay. We're living in an age of grace. You are welcome to come back home. You make today special each and every morning when we gather together. And so on this Thursday, August the 6th, day five, 21 days of prayer, I decided to, I don't know, hold on to the shofar a little bit and and just let that be a call to prayer to to alert something inside of us. We're, we've been doing this for a year, calling people to prayer in the mornings. We're on Facebook Live and the beginning of this week on YouTube Live and devotions are now available as podcasts you can download because we're believing God for an awakening. We're sensing that. Nothing short of an awakening will really do in this pandemic world. And so build this team, build our little group together. We're binding together in prayer, like the page, follow the page. Share the page if you feel led to do so. So thank you for being a part. Many of you are one year. Hey, why not out to the side? Out to the side. Just tell me, how long have you been listening to these morning devotions? Did you start with us a year ago? Have you been listening for 11 months, 10 months, 9 months, 8 months? Are you a recent convert? Do we have any new converts out there? You've only been listening for less than a month or a few days. This may be your first would you just leave it out the side? Tell us where you're from and how long you've been listening because you matter and what you're going through matters to each of us. And we're trying to build a sense of community and connectivity and uh, just know that no one's, no one's going through this alone, that we're supporting one another. And most importantly, we're gathering around the throne of God. Today, in day five, I want to I deal with the subject, what two-thirds of all pastors agree on. Wow, that's a, that's, a loaded, that's a loaded statement. But let me start with the question. Where did Jesus go? I mean, if we live and move and have our being in him, as Paul told those Athenians, and if for to me to live is Christ, as Paul told those Philippians, if, if we are complete in him, as Paul told the Colossians, then I, I guess I just have a question. If it's all in him, through him, about him, and for him, I just have a question. Where did Jesus go? If he is the vine and we are the branches, and if he is the head and we're the members of the body, and if he's the glue, by whom all things consist, if he is the wheel within the wheel, the center, the circumference, our rock, our living bread, our living water, huh, then where did Jesus go? Where did he go? 
I don't say that to indict a 21st century church. I don't say that to put us down during the midst of this deep, dark pandemic. I, but I don't believe in everything is just an either or either. I, I, I believe we can have a living, abundant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and be a productive member of society. I believe we can have Jesus first in our lives and also be the people that we need to be in our families. I believe we can elevate Jesus as the solution to everything, but also be wise in the management of time, talent, and treasure. I believe you and I can have a Jesus-centered church and a Jesus-centered life, still have good systems of discipleship, management, technical youth, children, lady, so forth. I just defy the either-or mentality on a lot of these things. But can we admit, can we admit, something has happened and, and Jesus has gone missing. Where did Jesus go? I want to be frank with you, and I, I want to be really forthright with you, very frank. Maybe more frank than what you want to be in morning devotion. My, my. God's Word says, though, that He does nothing without revealing it first to His prophets, Amos 3, 7. And so I ask you, what happened? What happened? Did God get laryngitis and not warn us in advance of what was coming to our world? Did He stop speaking? Was God sleeping or slumbering? Or did no one see this dilemma and this pandemic coming? Or could it be that those who could hear had stopped listening? He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. I just wonder if we're in a 24-7 world where we're listening to so many different voices and we no longer hear that divine voice, that still small voice, that divine whisper, that that voice that never insists upon its own way, that will let the cacophonous chorus of the multitude of voices in the land, that's what the Bible said, there's a multitude of voices in the land, a still small voice will let others shout louder. We've got to tune our ear to that voice. Where did Jesus go? My dad loved to sing a song, it was one of my favorites to hear him sing, standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Jesus. He's the only one who cares and understands. Standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll find him. And you'll know him by the nail prints in his hands. Where did Jesus go? He's in the shadows. And regrettably, he's on the sidelines. He's not behind the steering wheel. He's not our primary pursuit. We turn to coffee in the morning before him. We turn to the media before him. We turn to text messages and emails before him. And if he's not first, hear me carefully. If he's not first, if he's not Lord of all, then he's nothing at all. Let's get Jesus back to the throne room of our lives. Let's enthrone him through our prayer and praise. You say, how do, how do I do that? How do I get Jesus back? I, I think, first of all, you got to recognize where we are. We are in a different world. We're like the proverbial frog in the kettle, and the culture of our world has reached the boiling point, and we need to counteract that. We need to grow more fervent than the world around us. We live in a post-Christian world, and I don't say that cavalierly. I don't say that happily. Most Christians may call, most Americans may call themselves Christians, but you can call a cow a zebra all day long and it doesn't make it the case. 
Most Americans are all Christians in name only because Jesus is not at the head of their lives. He's not the center of their lives. He's not the heart of their entire world. And if he's not, if he's not the head and the center and the heart, then he's not our Lord. And how can be Lord of all lords if we won't make him Lord inside of our hearts? How do we resolve this? How do we resolve this? We've got to get Jesus back into the picture. We've got to bring Jesus back into the center. And we do that through our prayer. When we turn to him and cry out as our, to him as our source and our answer and our provider, you, you can really tell how popular Jesus is by how many people show up to pray. We can't simply try harder, folks. We can't simply spend more money and just throw more money at it and come up with slicker programming. Billions and billions of dollars are spent each year on ministry in the United States, and not a lot of ha- has happened positively. Morality still plummets. Injustice, carnality are rising. Church attendance can't keep up with population growth. Half of all churches in America didn't have a single new conversion member through conversion in the last five years. 85% of churches in America are plateaued or declining. 14% are growing, but only through move-ins and transfers, and only 1% grow by preaching the gospel and obedience. As many as 2,700 churches in the United States each month are holding their last service, closing their doors, putting up the for sale sign. You want to see it stopped? We've got to get Jesus back in the picture. We've got to get Jesus back in the picture. And the numbers I just shared with you came from a wide assortment of churches, affiliations, denominations. Not the picture, I believe, of the first century church in the 21st century, but it's a warning. If we don't learn to get Jesus at the heart and the forefront of our daily lives, then we are in trouble. Pastors. What do two-thirds of pastors agree on? I love pastors. Uh, I love everyone, but pastors and ministers and families, they got a tough job. Come on, let's give it up for our pastors. Name your pastor out the side and let's give it up for him. They have a tough job. Never enough resources. Never enough time. Impossible hours. Impossible demands. But it's made possible by keeping Jesus at the center of it all and reminding ourselves that is, this is his church. He shed his precious blood, Acts 20, 28, to purchase the church. He will build the church. He just works through us. He's the chief shepherd. It's our privilege to work with him as under shepherds. Pastors, though, I love them, but they don't agree on a lot. But they do agree on at least one thing. What they see, what pastors see is that most people they preach to don't have a personal walk with God. They're not connecting with Jesus as their daily source, their daily life, their daily guide. And they see people struggling and not overcoming. Two-thirds of pastors agree on this one thing, that the one thing the American church needs, the single most pressing need of the American church, is a revival. I'm not talking about a series of meetings. I'm talking about an awakening. We've got to get Jesus back in our midst. And that happens through prayer. All those statistics I just cited, those numbers, they make me think, I can't work harder to get God to move. I just have to pray more to invite him to move. 
Do you know that only one in 20 churches have an active prayer ministry? And where is that going to leave us? If the average American believer only prays five minutes a day, then how are we going to get Jesus into our midst? I want to use the latest and greatest. I want to have all the resources that are out there, but the acid test, the acid test of any church, of any ministry, of my ministry, the acid test of every child of God listening to me right now is what is your prayer level? What's your prayer level? How much and how fervent do you pray? Benjamin Franklin was not any spiritual guru. He didn't, he did form a strong relationship during the Great Awakening with George Whitefield, that evangelist that crisscrossed the Atlantic. <clears throat> but the Revolutionary War came and the crashing weight of it all. Then the shock of victory and independence caused Franklin to believe this had to have been the hand of God. He told the delegates in Philadelphia as they wrestled with their constitution, the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. He quoted, Franklin quoted Psalm 127, that except the Lord build the house, we labor in vain to build it. Then he said, without God's help, our attempt at freedom is nothing more than building a Babel. And he closed his remarks, reminding everybody in the room how often they had prayed during the war. And he asked them a question. Have we now forgotten that powerful friend? I feel the same today. Where is Jesus? Have we forgotten him in our midst? He is the comparative and the superlative of our life. He is the better and the best and the higher and the highest and the greater and the greatest. But today I want, I want to mention that he's closer and closest, that if we seek him, David said in my most beloved Psalm, the 27th Psalm, one thing of a desire that will I seek after. And, and he said, my heart was telling me, God, seek your face. And I said, your face, I will seek God. It's got to come from your heart. That Jesus is standing somewhere out on the shadows. You've got to say, I've got to find him. I'm going to find him. One of my favorite post-resurrection stories is such a common story because the early lives of the apostles, when they walked with Jesus, uh, so many of them were fishermen Peter and Andrew, those brothers, James and John, those brothers, at least four, and the three in the inner circle were fishermen. And Jesus called them on the seashore, and you remember they would revert back at times to go fishing. It was after the resurrection, Jesus had told them that he would go before them into Galilee, and he would meet them there, and so those four that I mentioned and a few others were out in the boat on the Lake of Galilee and they were fishing. And Jesus, Jesus at dawn walked along the shore and he called out to them, have you caught any fish? They didn't realize it was Jesus. And they said, we fished all night. No, caught nothing. But then Jesus said something, cast your net on the right side. He didn't say the other side. He said on the right side. There's so many theories what Jesus was referring to there, a fishing method, going to the right arm, the power of God. It was not even a nautical term, cast it on the right side, but they did. 
and there was a large catch of fish. They couldn't haul in 153 great fish. Jesus is standing nearer to you today than you can imagine. He wants to come out of the shadows. He's watching over us, and he's watching us as we labor. And he agrees with two-thirds of the pastors. If people would only turn to him, the miraculous could take place. The width of a boat. Did they cast it on to the other side? To the were they fishing on the the aft and went to the starboard, the left and went to the right? Uh, but when they shifted according to his word, they saw the impossible. Could it be? You're just about the width of a boat away from the miraculous. That we are that close, folks, to that awakening. I don't know how wide that fishing boat was. I've seen one of them there in Capernaum. Uh, uh, they call it Simon Peter's boat. I, I suppose that if I laid on the floor, I could reach from one side of that boat to the other. Maybe that's what God is telling us. If we would get prostrate before him, if we would stretch out our hands before him, we're just about the width of a boat away from the miraculous in our lives. What two-thirds of pastors agree on is that America needs an awakening and a spiritual revival as never before. I believe this is our day. This is our hour. This is the moment that God is calling us. Would you unite with me in these 21 days of prayer and fasting? And let's believe For God to do that impossible thing. He's here. He's here right now. Leave your prayer requests out to the side. Circle around one to another and determine, I'm going to be the person in my church, in my family, in my home that begins to cry out before God. I want to see that spiritual revival. I want to live this. I want to put Jesus back on the throne where he really belongs. God bless you. Thank you for being a part of this. Share with others and let's build this morning group as we call out in 21 days of prayer and fasting. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Join us next time for another inspiring devotion. To support this ministry, please visit firstchurch.com forward slash give.